here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. ProRisuShop.com, your only source for authentic ProRisu merch straight from Japan. Translation extraordinaire Yatsumi has helped more than 300 fans all across the world purchase authentic merchandise, and now he's bringing that savings to you. With over 300 items to choose from, ProRisuShop.com has the largest selection of New Japan and ProRisu merchandise you can't get anywhere else. Shirts, belts, trading cards, DVDs, and more from the biggest stars of Japan, like Tanahashi, Okada, Nakamura, and of course, the Bullet Club. Get them all for the same price you would pay in Japan, with worldwide shipping starting at only $6.99. For the very best in ProRisu merchandise across the world, the choice is clear. ProRisuShop.com that's P-U-R-O-R-E-S-U shop.com. ProRisuShop.com. Yeah, you can be the greatest. You can be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your chest. You can beat the world. You can beat the war. You can talk the guy go banging on his door. You can throw your hands up. You can beat the clock. Yeah. You can move a mountain. You can break rocks. You can be a master. Don't wait for luck. Dedicate yourself and you go find yourself. Standing in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And the world's gonna know your name. Yeah. All right, welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Podcast. I'm Rich Craig alongside, as always, Mr. Joe Lanz. And Joe, it's another one of our special editions here for the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. We're doing another category here. And this one, of all the categories, even Europe, we kind of knew. We needed some help from John Lister, but this one, whew, well, this one's a doozy. I think uh, <laughs> for everybody, you know, I like to refer to this one as the miscellaneous category. <laughs> I know other people like to refer to it as the etc. category. Uh, technically, it is the Australia, Pacific Islands, Caribbean, South Africa region, <laughs> uh, and South Africa only because there was a South African candidate uh, added this year. It, it's basically just a hodgepodge of of regions that really aren't. Uh, strong enough to support themselves as a singular region. So we kind of just combine them all into one. And um, I have some strong feelings on that. I don't necessarily think that's fair to uh, probably any of the candidates in the regions. But with that said, I really don't know how else you would possibly attack this because uh, you, you certainly can't have uh, a Caribbean region with just Carlos Colon in it. So I think the only way mm-hmm. to rectify something like this would be to come up with additional candidates for your Caribbean, you know, for your Caribbean or your, uh, your, your South Africa, or maybe extend that to all of Africa. But at that point, are you just adding candidates for the sake of adding candidates? Right. That <laughs> just, yeah. It's just a big mess. And uh, I would love to know what our guest today Matt Farmer, who returns who, who returns after uh, helping us out with the Mexico region. First of all, Matt, uh, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. Doing Excellent. Great. 
And uh, secondly, what do you think of my little mini rant that I wasn't planning on going on in that introduction? <laughs> but uh, as most people who listen to this show know, I, I tend to be wordy. So uh, what do you think of what I just had to say about combining all these guys into one region like this? Yeah, you know, I, I agree with what you say completely. I, it, to me, it's, it's kind of sad, actually, that we have to group them all together because at one point during history – each one of those regions was strong enough, definitely strong enough, to support more than just one or two candidates. I mean, at certain periods of time, all of those regions were some of the strongest regions in the world. It's just, as Americans, um, most people don't know about, like, Af South Africa, for instance. For years, that was a territory that a lot of big stars from America would go to and and work there for, you know, a good portion of their careers uh and it's it's just that so few people know about it well then you know what i'll tell you what why don't we start right there let's start with south africa and the one candidate from south africa which as i noted was just added this year and that's jan wilkins uh, who yeah. I believe, if, if we're given proper credit, I, I, again, we don't never know this for a fact because we, we never know how guys end up on the ballot. I have a strong suspicion that Ryan Klingman was the one who suggested. Now he's from South Africa himself, and I mm -hmm. and I did and I I do know for a fact that he suggested Jan Wilkins uh, uh, to Dave on on I forget which message board it was on. Uh, so I, I believe he's the one who got Jan Wilkins added in, and and as a consequence got the South African portion added to this region. Uh, but why don't you? Speak to that a little bit. Um, tell tell the listeners a little bit, and tell me and Rich too, because quite frankly, we we don't know. We're learning we're, here. We're, <laughs> yes. When it comes to South African wrestling, uh, all I can tell you is that Justin Gabriel came out of there, and that his father trained him. That's <laughs> essentially everything I know. So tell us a little bit about this history of South African wrestling and Colonel De Beers, yeah, from Stark in ninety. So and, and yeah, it's actually Jan Wilkins, like you're yawning, but it's Jan Wilkins. Um, and actually, I think Ryan and myself kind of helped. I'm not trying to take any claim for it, but actually, I before you, before you, before you jump in, that 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 is just awful. I'm not even pronouncing the man's name right. <laughs> and this is and that might happen a few times on this. this that yeah. is just you know that is just terrible, and that just speaks to how obscure all of this is to me. That and, and how terrible of a radio host I am, where I can't even get the guy's name right. But go ahead and then, uh, continue on yeah. with Jan Wilkins in uh, South Africa. Jan. Yeah, Jan Wilkins. Jan was a huge man. He was something like six six or six foot seven, just a huge, like, bulk of a man. Um, but he was a big star in not only South Africa, but he was in Europe as well. I think he started his career um, working for Joint Promotions, where he was a big star there. Um, as most of you know, there wasn't a lot of super heavyweights in Europe at the time. But he was one of the rare ones, and he was a huge star. He headlined um, Royal Albert Hall, Wembley Arena, everything. Um, this would have been in the mid-60s, I believe. Um, but he held the European title over there, the, the big heavyweight title. Um, so he was definitely a big star. Uh, from that, he got booked over to New Japan during a time in the early 70s where Inoki brought in big guys to beat. He was one of those big guys, but he had a couple tours there. did pretty well for that region. Um, but he really made his name in Africa, um, in South Africa. In 1975, television, not wrestling on television, but television, began to air in South Africa. Before, prior to that, it was a, the country was dark for television. 
to, to my knowledge, you know, that's just what I've, I've read. I might be wrong. Um, but Jan Wilkins is one of the first big stars of television wrestling in South Africa. Uh, Jan, big star, uh, became pr- prominent on television when television was the new thing in Africa. Um, and they set up like a territorial region there where they just promoted shows and towns every night of the week, just like in the United States. And stars from the United States and Europe and uh, a lot of guys that worked for joint promotions went down there to work on a regular basis. Um, it just became another territory, but it was a hugely successful territory. Um, when Jan would bring in these big stars from like the United States or Canada or wherever, they would build them up weeks long on television and the old carnival routes of like parading them around town, um, sometimes giving them extra fictitious backgrounds. And they would build them up all week long or month long for the big final fight with Jan Wilkins. And those matches would always draw huge crowds. I know that like uh, Big John Studd, Blackjack Mulligan, um, Don Leo Jonathan was one of his regular opponents and they could have matched up so well in size. And I know from talking to Don Leo Jonathan, he was telling me that when they went there and he wasn't, he wasn't really the exaggeration type of a guy. Um, he was saying that they did massive crowds, you know, 10, 15,000 people on a regular basis, you know, for their big build-up matches. So he's, he's definitely a guy that probably deserves a stronger look than he's going to get for the Hall of Fame. So in terms of if, if you were going to, um, like we talked about earlier, if you if you were going to potentially add other people from South Africa or maybe from Africa in general and sort of make Africa its own category. Uh, yeah. What other, what other names would we come up with here? And, and just maybe, so it's relatable for the listeners was uh, just cause I brought it up before as a joke, but I guess I should, I turn it into a serious question was Justin Gabriel's father, who I believe his name was uh, Paul Lloyd. Uh, was he any kind of serious star in South Africa? He was a star, but by the time he was working, it had turned. It was more of a um, a smaller type of a promotion. It, it was similar to the United States in that by the mid to late '80s, there was you know there was some strong promotions, but they weren't as strong as they had been prior to that. Um, but they, they were still able to draw some good, decent crowds. And he was, I would say, he was an upper card baby face most of the time. Not the biggest star, but he definitely wasn't, you know, nobody. Um, and then I, and then you know, by the time guys like Justin Gabriel and Adam Rose came into the picture, are we basically dealing with promotions there that are the that that are the equivalents of like the size of American Indies? Yes, yes, definitely. But you know, even in the mid '90s, mid to late '90s, there was um, Sammy Cohen was promoting, and they were doing sizable business. Um, I remember talking to guys like Gama Singh and Bad News Allen who were going over there on a regular basis, and they were drawing some huge crowds over there because Gama Singh had gotten over really strongly in South Africa. Um, this is the same Gama Singh from Calgary. And, um, you know, they drew some huge crowds. Uh, I remember uh, Dr. Luther talking to him, same deal there. He was going over there. A lot of the Calgary guys were going over there through bad news. And they were consistently drawing um, 
good business. I wouldn't say, you know, anything record setting, but they were drawn good enough business to bring in people from Canada. Um, and they, you know, they would, the guys would sit there and work, they'd work for, you know, a month or two and then they would come home. Um, so, but so, in, in the seventies and early eighties, Africa was going through like a boom, South Africa was going through a boom, boom period and Jan Wilkins was their big star. So aside from some of the guys that you already mentioned when you were talking about Wilkins, uh, who else do you think from that particular era would be at least Hall of Fame ballot worthy? Um, from South Africa, probably Bull Hefner, who was a big star prior to Don Wilkins, but he also turned into like the leading promoter. Um, Balabar, Tiger Singh, Ray Steele. Um, uh, that's just off the top of my head that I could think of. That, that Sure, sure. That's what we're looking for. That's fine. Yeah, so, you know, I, I don't know if they would necessarily be um, Hall of Fame worthy, but it, they're at least worth looking at, you know what I mean? Right, that's, and that's exactly what I was sort of looking for, guys that would, wouldn't look out of place on a ballot. Uh, if, if this thing grows to the point where maybe we can make, you know, either South Africa or Africa its own region so that we don't run into this, you know, awful, awful, you know, combined category where guys just get all mashed up. And, um yeah. You know, because moving on from there, I guess, you know, you, you look at the, the Caribbean, which really is essentially, in this case, Puerto Rico, which is essentially just Carlos Colon. Um, so, yeah, we, yeah. you know, it, it, it's another problem there, too. Now, uh, are, you, are you someone who is negative on Colon due to the whole Brody situation, or are you somebody who votes for him? No, I'm completely voting for him. In fact, I may be one of his stronger supporters, and I have been since day one. Um, you know, I, a lot of people know, a lot of people know that Bruiser Brody is one of my all time favorites. I, I've helped whenever there's been a book about Bruiser Brody, I've helped out with it. Um, yeah, he's just always been one of my favorites. Um, but you know, with that said, I'm still a supporter of Cologne because I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if we should look at people's personal lives when looking at a hall of fame for a business. Uh, well, with that said, if we, l let's attack this then. If, if we were going to add people from Cologne's part of the world, uh, would you be open to adding somebody like you know Invader One, who actually murdered Brody, and uh, but would also seem to have you know a Hall of Fame resume? Yeah, I would. I'd be open to it. I'm not saying that I would vote for him, but I would be definitely. I think he needs to be on the ballot. Hell, there's a murderer. In you know, there's a couple murders mm -hmm. that are currently in the Hall of Fame. Right, yeah. and there has been votes to see if we should take them out, and they you know didn't pass. So yeah, yeah, you know, like with Benoit, for instance. I mean that that was there's no question about the murder. You know, at least with Gonzalez, you could make a. You know, there's people that could argue that maybe it was self-defense. Um, you know, I, you know, no, we we don't want to get into that, but. With with Invader, I think he deserves to be on the ballot. He's been a, a long term star, um, I, but I I don't think he'll get a lot of votes. But he should probably be on the ballot. You know, th you know, a subtle difference would be that he would be going on to the ballot once we already know <laughs> that that he murdered somebody, mm -hmm. as opposed yeah. to Benoit, who was after the fact, or or OJ Simpson, who was you know two decades after the fact, or or whatever yeah. it was, or uh, or. 
for Toots' mom who served time for killing a woman in a ve- like vehicular manslaughter. You know? I, well, you know what? There's a there's a fair comparison then because yeah. I don't think he got in until 2006 or seven somewhere. In that I believe that's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, no, actually, he was initial class. He was 96. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah, okay. Yes. That's yeah. What I was thinking. Yeah. <clears throat> so all right. So if, if so at that point it was well established and well known. I mean that obviously wasn't new information because that was you know 50 years earlier. Or <laughs> right. yeah. But uh, but so yeah. So actually, you know, th- there is some precedent there. That's. I don't know. That's I, I don't know. I, I that that's a real controversial one. That's probably a podcast all unto itself. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah but, but aside from Gonzalez, I mean, you know, I, I would think that, uh, that there there's others that we could add from that part of the world too. I mean, Chicky Star comes to mind. What what about some others? And how do you feel about Star? Um, you know, just earlier today we were tweeting uh, Chicky Star, Hugo Savinovich. Um, you know, Hugo, he's got a strong resume. I don't know if it's Hall of Fame worthy, of course, but – and Chicky Star, he's one of my favorite heels. Uh, you know, they, they deserve at least an argument. Um, and I, I think they're just as strong as some candidates that we've seen come on here that were mid-card to upper-mid-card WWF stars. I completely agree. Uh, I do think he's worthy of at least being on the ballot. Um, but it seems, you know, I don't want to gloss over Cologne. Um, I, I, I'm no. also obviously a Cologne supporter. We're not going to tell the same tired story that I tell on every one of these podcasts. If people want to know, you know, what happened with Cologne, they can listen to one of the earlier shows as far as him missing by one vote uh, last year. But um, it, since we both seem to support him, uh, for the for the benefit of listeners, uh, why don't you go over a little bit why you feel strongly that he belongs in? Um, well, let's say from 1974 to 1986, I can't think of another person in the world, um, maybe in Mexico, but I can't think of anybody else in the world that was consistently headlining stadium-sized crowds of, you know, every time they opened up, you know, the stadiums in Bayamon or San Juan, they would consistently draw, you know, 8,000 to 20,000 people, depending on the magnitude of the build and the feud. And he consistently, at least, you know, a dozen times a year drew 20,000 people to these stadium shows, you know, depending on the buildup. But he was a consistent, huge draw week after week for many years. It wasn't a flash in the pan. Um, sure, they had their hot periods, but their down periods in the 80s for a 10-year run were still awesome business. Um, I, I, I can't think of anybody else, comparison-wise, maybe Bruno San Martino in Madison Square Garden that can, can match Carlos Colon as a draw on a consistent level in, in a territory, you know. And, and then I guess the question sort of becomes, especially with him, is, you know, why 59%? Why that little bit that he's still missing? Is it the Brody situation? Is it that people are unfamiliar with him? Is it this category? I mean, that seems to be the question every single year when it comes out. And it's like, you know, why, is, you know, why not Cologne this year? I think it's a combination of everything that you just said. I mm-hmm. think the negative, ne- negative stigma towards him that has been built up over the years, and whether rightfully or wrongfully, through like the newsletters, you know, the people, a lot of the people that vote are staunch 
newsletter readers from, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, sure. 10 years ago. And so they've heard nothing but negative things about Cologne. Um, you know, and, and I think that's hurt them. I, I really do. I, and I also think it's just lack of knowledge. You know, I, you know, one thing about the category, um, you know, I, I think the category actually helps him because he would need more votes if he was in the U.S. Sure. Even though he probably appropriately yeah. belongs in the U.S.-Canada category since Puerto Rico is party in the United States. I mean, that you know, it's – people seem to forget that. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's it would hurt him because he would need more votes. And I do think there are people who don't vote for him because of the Brody thing. And I think that's fair if people feel that way. I don't I don't think yeah. people sh- you know, I, I have really have no issue with, if people have that stance, if they if they believe he was actively part of a cover up uh, to that situation. Um, but one thing I don't like uh, about the, the anti-Cologne argument, which I, I, I never understand this part of it, is that. He never drew anywhere except for that island, and you know he flops yeah. when they tried to bring him into other territories or whatnot. Never, you know, I, who cares? I mean, I you yeah. know, I I can't come up with any off the top of my head, but I'm sure that there's other Hall of Famers who, when they were, you know, you know, Americans who went to Japan and were in the mid card, or Japanese uh, Hall of Famers who can't. I, I give you, you know, I mean, uh, you know, a guy who got in last year. I mean, you know, did, did Kensuke Sasaki ever draw in the United States when he came here? No, it was a Carter and no. WCW, you know what I mean, and it's, yeah. and I'm sure there's examples of Americans who went to Japan and 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 uh, and, and weren't at the top of cards or, or drawing huge. So I don't understand yeah. why that's held against Cologne. No, I don't either. Um, look at it, like El Santo, for instance. He was a when he came to work Texas, he was working a lot of mid cards. Sure, he worked, he had won some, but he was a mid carder for the most part. Um, in a small territory, Antonio Inoki, same thing. He came. He never got over in the U.S. Um, and these you know, are much look, better examples than my Sasaki example because now you're naming no-brainer. Uh, yeah, these are first-class guys. guys where if, you don't, <laughs> if you don't think these guys are Hall of Famers, you, you, you're just you're, you're just you're nuts. You don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Whereas I name well, sort of a borderline guy that took years and years to get in. So these are ex- excellent examples of the point I was yeah. trying to make. You could even say Roddy Piper when he went to Japan, they didn't sure. get him back. He, you know, he wasn't a big star there. He he never got over. You know, I, I mean, there's a there's a whole list of guys on the Hall of Fame that didn't succeed at a point throughout their career. Yeah, and I think if if you're a you big enough star, I, I completely agree. If you're a big enough star in your home region, uh, I don't. I think anything you do outside that region is just gravy and and yeah. should be held against you. So I I completely agree with that thought. Yeah. You know, uh, Lucez didn't get over in New York like many expected he should have. He didn't do horrible, but he didn't do bad, or he didn't do great. You know, should we hold that against him when he had, you know, a Hall of Fame career besides that? Uh, Cologne, you know, when you are when you own a promotion and you're the top star, why do you want to leave to go try your chances somewhere else, you know? Yeah, and I mean, you know, even if you even if you do and you fail, I mean, to, to me, that's not the, the the crux of a resume. I mean, it could add to it, yeah. but it's just, you know, if you're an enormous star in your home area, which he was, I think that should be enough to carry you. Um, yeah. Now, uh, moving on to Australia now, because the I think the, you know the rest of these candidates pretty much uh, reside from that part of the world, and this really is an Australia. Uh, slash Pacific Island dominated uh, ballot, with the exception of Cologne and and Wilkins. Um, first of all, for the listeners, explain 
the the Australian version of World Championship Wrestling and 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 where that promotion fits in historically and maybe give a brief overview of the history of Australian wrestling. Okay. Um, Australia, and you know, this is a thing that also kind of irks me. Australia prior to the golden years of the WCW era of Australia wrestling was a hot commodity of the territory. Um, dating back to the 20s and 30s and 40s, a guy by the name of Richard Lean pretty much controlled as a czar almost the entire country, at least the eastern half of the country, which was the higher populated part of the country. And he pretty much just controlled the entire region with his little stooges. Um, every top star, I mean, whether it's uh, Jim Londos or Lou Fez or, um, you know, uh, and Lewis, Joe Stecker, they all toured Australia. And they toured with Richard Lean, who was considered, you know, Luthes even talks about him in his book that he was kind of a jerk, um, probably one of the worst promoters he ever worked for. But if you look at the records and look at his history, he his business was probably stronger or as strong as um, the Jim Barnett era of Australia. And so there's a big history there of draws that were in that country during that period of time that are almost, you know, they're missing too during that period of time. But WCW, uh, pretty much what it was is Barnett and Johnny Doyle, they got a television contract in Australia that ran throughout the entire country. Um, you know, there's been a lot of conversations about how they got it or, you know, um, you know, the, sh- the political shenanigans, but they pretty much controlled the entire country of Australia. They set it up just like a territory where they would run Sydney one day, Melbourne the next day, Adelaide the next day, and they would just run, you know, they ran those towns weekly, these huge cities weekly. Um, during that era, the wrestlers per, you know, per week were on a good guarantee for the period of time, and pretty much every big name in the world went there at least for a short period of time. And they were they were like the WWE is in the United States today where they're just completely dominant as a wrestling promotion. And we're talking the 60s and 70s at this point? Yeah, we're, mostly it's, uh, I believe they ended in the um, early 60s. I don't remember the exact date. I'd have to look it up. But um, they ran for a good 10-year period of time before Barnett came back to the U.S. because there were some political deals going on there between having Americans run a promotion in Australia. And the majority of these guys on the ballot are from that era. Yes, yes. And they they all made their name during that era, which, you know, it it was probably one of the hottest promotions for a five- or six-year period. Uh, So you, you would see a handful of big names come out of that area, you know, guys that you should strongly be looked at for that run alone. Because it was definitely, if you were headlining um, Australia during that period of time, you were definitely, that was definitely a Hall of Fame um, level run, you know what I mean? Sure. So who, who was the biggest stars, who were the biggest stars during that period? Um, Dominique Benucci was probably one of the top baby faces. And I know a lot of Americans that think Dominique Pinucci, think WWE jobber. Um, but he was, you know, in 65 and 66, 67, probably the top baby face 
and we're talking about a promotion where Sydney, Australia, they ran the stadium in Sydney, and I believe it was every Friday night, they were averaging 9,000 people for about a year and a half run every Friday night. With Danucci on top. Yeah, so Danucci, you know, and they had so many big stars. It wasn't always just Danucci on top, but Danucci was one of the top babies. So do you, you well, let, let me see. You're talking about them cycling Americans in and out of there and big stars coming through because it was so hot. Do you think it was these Americans that were being cycled through that were the primary reason that they were drawing so well, or do you credit guys like Danucci? I do credit because somebody like Danucci – he was a draw because there was a huge Italian population in Australia. And if you talk to anybody that was there, it was those home, those, those guys, it was almost like a Bruno San Martino in New York. They were drawing off the ethnicity. The baby faces were the ethnic baby faces. Guys like Mar- Mario Milan, you know, who was also on the ballot too. He was an Italian, um, born in Italy, grew up in uh, Venezuela. But, you know, he was um, he was Italian, and there were so many Italians in Australia at the time. So those two guys were over because of their ethnicity, too. Mm-hmm. Are you voting um, for either one of those men? Um, I, I haven't cast my ballot yet, but I probably will vote for one of them, maybe Benucci, because... You know, I, I'm not sure yet. I, I got to really think about it because I, well, I get the sense I, that you think I get the sense that you think Danucci is the strongest of those Australian candidates. You know, he he might be, or uh, Spiros Arion may be stronger. What when it, it comes to Spiros Arion? Now, now he was Greek. Okay, so yeah, you don't have the, Ita- the Italian angle there. How much do you think working? You know, because he had a long career. Uh, for Vince McMahon as well and worked his fair mm-hmm. share of MSG and main events and other buildings as well against Bruno and I think Backlund too. I'm not positive yes, on that, did. but I, okay, so there you go. I, and I know for a fact he worked a bunch of main events against Bruno. How much do you think that part of his run helps him, if at all? It should help him greatly, and I'll tell you why. His run with Bruno was coming off of a period of, of Bruno that was not doing very well. There was There was a period of time where Bruno and his big buildings like MSG weren't doing that well. Um, but he, him and Bruno, you know, they ran a series of three main events at Madison Square Garden in 73, um, and they popped that territory. They, uh, they, they opened the Felt Forum for the first time, which is that building, you know, it's the building below, right below Madison Square Garden. They were the first guys that ever sold, did a dual sell out of both buildings, and that's 26,000 people. Um, so they, they did three series of MSGs, which was a lot, but they sold out all three, which was something that most of Bruno's opponents didn't do. But here's the thing. Not only did they do the three sellouts at MSG, they also did sellouts to near sellouts of all the other secondary markets like Pittsburgh, Boston, Philly, and so on. And they drew huge crowds in all of the markets. Like the entire territory was well above average. So that was a big run. You know, one of Bruno's, probably one of his top three or four biggest runs was with Arion. Because they did the whole gimmick where, you know, they were buddies and then Arion um, broke up with them. But that was a huge, it, it was kind of like the, the Paul Warndorf run 
for the Bruno San Martino era, you know? Yeah, and then they kind of, they went back to it, you know, I think in like 77-ish or somewhere in that yeah. neighborhood. And then, uh, yeah, they, and then they went back to it. He was always a guy that could come back and draw big money. And even when he came in with Backland, there was no backstory. But just because he was a star, you know, he, he was a big draw. And he came back and drew sellout or near sellout at least with Backland. So he, he was a big star. But um, he was also like when he was in Australia, because he was Greek, with just like the Italians, there was a lot of Greek population in Australia too. So he was a huge um, ethnic star in Australia as well. Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about him. Um, obviously, uh, this year he, or, or last year rather, he uh, got twenty two percent of the vote. The year before, nineteen uh, percent. Any sort of, I mean, he seems like a very long shot. Uh, you know, Spiros. Is, is yeah. there a chance that he could fall off the ballot in your mind? I think so. I, I think so. I think it, a lot of it. You know, um, and I, I, it's hard to say why, but I think a lot of it, and I, we touched on this last last time when we were going with Lucha Libre, is, you know, I, I don't know how many historians Meltzer has that he mails ballots to. Let's just say if there's 100 historians. Well, 90% of those historians cover U.S., Japan, right. And maybe Europe. So you've only got 10% or 20% of those historians that have a clue of what was going on in this category, you know, in the Africa, Australia, you know, Pacific Islands, and Puerto Rico. It, so I, it I think really that hurts, hurts those guys. Yeah, and sure. it really seems like Danucci's the only one even with a – I mean, he's not even close, to be honest with you, coming in at under 40% last year. Uh, the closest last year, aside from Cologne uh, – uh, Lewin at 48. And uh, Killer Carl Cox at 50. Yes, all right, right, yes, yes. So why don't you talk about those two guys a little bit, and why do you think they do stronger numbers than some of the guys we've talked about already? Um, that was Carl Cox and who else? Uh, Mark Lewin, who's at forty-eight percent as well. Um, I think it's I think it's because they had long stints in the United States. That's the truth. Um, both of them had, you know, they they they're well known because they were big stars or, or at least stars in the United States for a period of time. And those wrestlers, like if they're getting a lot of from their peers, at least I know Killer Carl Cox was always considered like kind of like the Dick Murdoch. Um, type of guy, you know, where his peers highly respected him for being a great worker. Uh, Mark Lewin had the same respect among his peers for being a great mind, and because they all know the stories of how over he got everywhere he went, and you know, throughout the world. So I think those two guys um, will probably get more play than some of the other guys that may be maybe even more deserving than Cox and, and Lewin. So. Cox finished fourth among former wrestlers last year, which which speaks to your point that he was well respected in the ring uh, by his contemporaries. Do you think uh, shooting back and tying that into Spiros Arion, do you think that there is a bit of a bias among former wrestlers against McMahon's territory because it wasn't known as a working promotion and they didn't really have a lot of respect for the work rate? of that promotion since it was more of a big man promotion and sort of a heel of the month sort of deal, uh, with Bruno. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. You know, and another thing is, is that why that territory looks is looked down upon a lot is because most of the markets were monthly 
and the boys, whether you know whether they'll speak about this or not, the boys know that when you go to a town monthly instead of bi week or instead of weekly, you don't have to work as hard because when you're there every week, most you know a large majority of those fans go there every single week. So if you slack off, that will definitely affect your your house the next week. You know, sure, monthly, sure. Monthly, it's more, you know, with a monthly crowd, month, monthly towns, it's more of like a, the special thing you do once a month or weekly. You know, that's a, that takes a lot of commitment to go back every week. What about some of these other names that we haven't touched on? Uh, let's see. It looks like, uh, well, one here is, is a new entry to the ballot, John Da Silva. Tell us a little bit about him because I know nothing about this man. Um, John's one of those guys where I, I know some about, but not a whole lot. Uh, he was from New Zealand. Um, he okay. Was, he so when you, all right. So you mentioned New Zealand now was New Zealand under the same auspices as the main Australian promotions over the years, or is that a separate territory? It was a separate territory. They would hit us. They would hit New Zealand once in a while. And some of the later promoters, in Australia, like Larry O'Day, they would make their way to Australia a lot more. Um, also, Steve Rickard for a long time, who was an NWA promoter, promoted in New Zealand too. Um, and then, of course, they would hit like Singapore and Malaysia and things like that. So a lot of times, whether it's Steve Rickard or um, even Mark Lewin was a booker there for a long time through that promotion. Um Okay, so we're basically we're talking two different offices for the most part, just in a, a, yeah. a, a, a around the same part of the world. So you have a little bit of crossover. So would the Silva be the biggest star uh, out of New Zealand? Uh, no, I don't think he would. I think Pat O'Connor would. Well, yeah, Pat O'Connor would easily be the biggest star. Um, but he didn't work off New Zealand that often because there just wasn't like a full time territory in New Zealand. Um, New Zealand had more of like the uh, you know, I had a conversation with Luke Williams of the, of the Bushwhackers about this, you know, because he broke in during the 60s. And it was more of like a club, kind of like an independent type scene promotion where, you know, your biggest hall that you'd run would hold a couple thousand people tops. So, so how do you, so with all that said, okay, so it wasn't, a, 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 yeah, okay, so with that said, how do you view De Silva based on what you know about him? Um, I, I don't have enough information to give him a good vote. I know that he was highly respected as a worker. Um, I, I recall Jack Briscoe saying, because Jack Briscoe had a big match with him in New Zealand that drew like one of the few huge crowds there. And um, he said that De Silva was an awesome worker. And he was supposed to have represented New Zealand in the Olympics in wrestling, which I've never verified, but, you know, there's those stories. Um, but De Silva is one of those guys that I just don't know enough about to give a vote to. I've heard the stories and seen some clippings about him, but not enough, you know. Brute Bernard and Skull Murphy. We got a tag team here, and they're also uh, first time on the ballot. Um, yeah. What, what, what's the deal with them? Is this generally regarded as the as the top tag team of this region, or what? Yeah, they're the top tag team of Australia for sure, easily. Um, I think as a tag team, they would have a, a really strong case. Um, they were considered a good like heel tag team, almost like an Anderson-style tag team. 
they also had really strong runs in the United States too. Um, you know, there was a period of time in um, Mid Atlantic where they were like the top heel tag team for a long time. Did some great business working um, George Becker and Johnny Weaver. So I, I think they're a strong, like Assassins Anderson style tag team, which you know they should get some looks. But I don't know if I would vote for them until I voted for say the Andersons. Do, do you have a prediction of sort of what percentages you think they might get this year uh, as sort of a new team on the ballot? Um, probably low. I would say, you know, they're probably going to get 20%. Okay, so they, they will stay on, you think? And Because you mentioned they're worth a look, and, and, and it'd be nice if we had a little bit more time to sort of take yeah. a look at them. You, you think they're, they're, they're at least enough to stay on? I, I, I hope so, yes, because they're, mm-hmm. they're the type of team that I think that it would be great to see more, get more information about, look at look up sure. a little farther, you know. Things like that. Um, to me, this, one of the strongest names besides Carlos Colon on this entire list is um, King Kong Zavra. I think he's got, you know, if the stories are correct and all the newspaper clippings that I've read about his career are correct, he may be the single biggest draw or Bilbo Colon is the biggest draw of everybody on the list, you know. We're talking just to talk about that to, to what you're talking about. According to you know, completely unverified. So I mean, this stuff's yeah. so tough to verify. And we're talking about the 1940s here. I doubt there's any film on this guy. If there is, it would be uh, late in his career from Japan. If anything, he right. did uh, possibly yeah. made tape because I mean, he was dead by night. He died in 1970. So yeah. um, you know, we we may we may never have any kind of a grasp of what kind of worker he was. Uh, as his name would imply, he was a huge man, 450 pounds. Um, he, he played King Kong in an Indian movie, which is how he got the name King Kong Zaza. He, he, he's from, um, I believe he was from Hungary. Hungary. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, wrestled throughout Europe and then really became a big star in India uh, after appearing in that movie. Uh, the, the most impressive uh, gate that is talked about is in 1945 against – I'm going to botch the hell out of this. <laughs> I'm uh, looking at this here. Uh, Good luck. Hamida Pelhawan. And, it, it, you know, s- reportedly this was in front of 200,000 people. And then yeah. he also supposedly had several matches, uh, a few against Dara Singh, I believe, um, mm-hmm. which drew over 100,000 people. So, I mean, if, if this stuff is even even slightly embellished, you're talking about yeah. a guy who was a massive draw. I, I've done a lot of research in India about India and Pakistan and, um, you know, a lot of the Middle Eastern countries. I've done a great deal of research probably four or five years ago on a lot of these names. And I would guesstimate that those crowds, because I've seen a lot of pictures of them, they are, of course, exaggerated. Um, but they're still huge crowds. And I, you know, um, I was, est- I remember a few years ago, I was estimating one of the crowds is approximately 60,000 people, which they were reporting, they reported it as like 150 or something like that. But I estimated it as probably 60,000 people, which was a good, you know, good deal sized crowd. Um, he was definitely a huge star. I, I have numerous clip, like newspaper clippings reporting like crowds and things like that of his career. And he definitely was a big star and a big draw, um, not only just in the Middle East, but in Japan 
and in um, Australia. You know, he set a record in Australia with Primo Carnera in 1956 and you know there was actually records of the police coming and a huge riot broke out and thousands of people got carted off to jail and it was a huge scene so he was definitely a big star yeah and so as you're mentioning there so okay so maybe the 100,000 200,000 that's embellished or whatever but I mean with, with reasonable doubt you can sort of look at that and and let's say it's it's half of that or a quarter of that that's yeah. still fairly impressive right I mean even then like I doubt yeah. they're lying I doubt they extrapolated 2,000 people to 200,000 you know what I mean like I, I doubt they were that you know yeah. embellishing but there had to be good guys there so when you look at that and look at his sort of resume from what we know is this a guy that you could see yourself voting or that other people could you know vote for and, and reasonably be okay with it I voted for him last year, and I'll vote for him again this year. I think if there's ever a case of a guy, and, you know, it's just one of those issues where you, you don't have enough people supporting him that have um, done some research on him. But, you know, one of uh, one of Russ, like uh, Wrestling Classics message board, one of their – and he doesn't visit there much anymore, but one of their uh, contributors used to be a guy named Wadi Abu, Abu, and his father was Sheikh – Sheikh Wadi, I'm sorry, the son's name is Libnan Ayoub, and the father, his father's name was Sheikh Wadi Abu, and I'm probably mispronouncing that, of course. <laughs> it's better but, than what we could do, so. <laughs> yeah, his father tag-teamed, and, you know, he was a star himself in Australia, a big star, and he's somebody that could, mm -hmm. you know, Sheikh Wadi Abu is probably somebody that should be looked at for the Hall of Fame as well, but he was a contemporary of Daza, and has you know he has his father's records of his career and was even you know followed his dad's career and he has records of some of the business they did that was just phenomenal business in Singapore you know and um he wrestled Luth he wrestled Luthez in Singapore yes yeah yeah uh, so he you know they that's actually yeah, they, that's, that that's a feather in his cap because he was thought well enough not only to wrestle Luthez in Singapore when Luthez came to that part of the world this is the guy they put him in the ring with not only sure, that yeah. when when he went to Japan um he he was right at the top of the cards he was wrestling Ricky Dozan and you know, it, yeah, you know right. Ricky R Ricky Dozan beat him to become the first ever All Asia Heavyweight Champion, which was a big deal at the time. At the time, yeah. that title. So everywhere and, and, he went, and you know, if you're wrestling Dara Singh in India, mm -hmm. and you're wrestling Luthez in Singapore, and you're wrestling Ricky Dozan in Japan, I mean, yeah. you know, where, there, where there's smoke, there's fire here. This guy was obviously thought of as a big deal and a serious yeah. draw. If they were putting him in the ring with some of the with, with three of the biggest stars of all time on a worldwide yeah. scale. And and like you know, I know Daza. He he's got a lot of Americans that vote probably think negative of of him because of what Lou uh, of what Lou says wrote about him in his book. You know he said that you know he was out of shape and a poor worker and poor to work with and all of this other stuff. And of course it was in late in his career and he was vastly overweight and stuff, so he probably was not good in the ring to be with. But it was also a time in his career that Feds wanted to prove himself and was in that mode of shutting people down, which he, you know, was famous for doing. And so they probably didn't have a very good match. 
And, uh, okay, first you know, of all, I doubt Fez had a ton of respect for him because uh, first of all, the guy was fifty years old when they yeah, yeah. Okay, and that, that, yeah when he's four fifty in his prime, uh, yeah, four hundred and fifty pounds. He's fifty years old, and we all know how Luthez viewed wrestling. Uh, yeah. You know, he didn't respect a lot of people who were considered excellent uh, technical wrestlers and and decent shooters. There were certain guys he didn't respect. Yeah. So he certainly wasn't going to have a ton of respect for a guy who was 50 years old and was probably yeah. pushing pushing 500 pounds at that point. So I, I think people have to keep that in mind. Uh, Luthez yeah. could be very curmudgeon at times. Yes, and also he was just coming off of dealing with Richard Lean, Dick Lean in Australia where it was a huge scene where he had to fight literally for his money and was you know, held held up at gunpoint at one point, and you know it was a bad scene. So he was pissed off at the world at that time because he was just traveling away from the NWA on, on his own, independently booking himself, and it was a scary scene in Australia. And he wasn't in a good mood when he got to Singapore to wrestle. Zaga. I, I would so, say that uh, there was there's probably a very good chance that his descriptions of of Zaza not being a a very good worker are probably true since the man was 50 years old and 500 pounds. But, but at the same time, uh, this isn't, this is his candidacy lies almost entirely on the fact that he drew these enormous gates. So, uh, and, and, and and we're never going to see film of his work anyway. No. And, and there has been a lot of disputes about his work early on in his career, you know, like Lenana Ayubu, he actually got into like a conversation with Lou about how good of a worker he was and considered by his peers earlier on in his career, which could be true, you know. Um, he could have been good, you know, 20, 30 years prior to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, his um, career started in 1929, so right. you know, yeah. we're going you know, way, way, way back here. Yeah, and, so, and you also got to remember, too, the style of work in Pakistan and in, you know, in Pakistan and in Iran and Iraq and India, it was a different style of work. If you watched, like, if you watched that video with Antonio Noki wrestling, um, what is it, Aglam Palawan, um, the, the, the style of work that they do there is different than they, than Luthes would probably be more accustomed to doing. So it could have been a styles clash too. Sure. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah. uh, of course, you know, it's, it's, you know, even if he hadn't died in the car crash in 1970, his career was effectively winding down at that point. Anyway, you're talking about a guy who was, uh, I guess yeah. what, six sixty one years old at that point, yeah. uh, but, he was, but, but he, he was still active at, uh, though at that point. Yeah, he was active and, but he was also more like a wrestling promoter. You know, he was promoting and he, he was active as a promoter and he did good business as a promoter himself so he's definitely a guy that may be one of the strongest candidates in this category absolutely we'll talk about a few more guys here we have johnny berend uh who uh 2013 he got 16 percent. 2012 he had 25 so he fell a little bit uh can you tell us a little bit about him for people that aren't uh, aware of his kind of history yeah yeah another guy who had a lot of american uh background as well he had a I, he, well most of his career was american and he probably mm-hmm. had his best success in America. I know that he's on there because, you know, he did well in certain areas, but probably his best run was in Hawaii. Um, you know, in, in the mid to late sixties, he was probably one of the top guys there and it's still remembered to this day there, but he did a string of numerous sellouts at the, 
like at a, it was like a 9,000 seat arena, the HIC arena. Um, you know, just did a, a big run there. Uh, started his career in, in, I believe he started his career in Buffalo. Or at least that's where he had his first big run in Buffalo when that territory was run by Ed Don, Ed Don George and Pedro Martinez. And he was really successful right off the bat um, during a hot period of time for in Buffalo. Um, went to Japan, did great business with Ricky Dozen. Um, great business, and like I said, in Hawaii, he was probably one of the top top guys there as a heel and a babyface. Um, he was also a traveling partner of Buddy Rogers. Uh, he was one of Buddy's tag team partners, him and Magnificent Maurice. Um, and so he learned, like, he was in that crew of Buddy Rogers' crew where they would work MSG, and Buddy would force those guys on every promoter that he worked for in the Northeast. And so he was hot off of working with Buddy Rogers, you know, so he, he got a big rub from that. Um, you know, he was a guy that I would, you know, I, I'm not sure, I, I don't know if I would vote for him, but he, if you just look at his numbers and you look at his, like if you read the Wrestling Observer bio on his career when he passed away, you would say, this guy is a Hall of Famer. So those bios are so <laughs> I think anybody that he writes about, yeah. I, he does such a good job with those that every it could be anybody. Then I would say, yeah, you know what? That guy's I mean, yeah. he's a legend, though. I love those are the best. But, yeah, no, I, I, I do recall the one you're talking about it you know, specifically. Um, yeah. As far as him, I mean, obviously, with the 16 percent last year, it, it, he's getting into that range now where it, it gets a little weird. Do you see any upward momentum for him or I, it with this category, especially you don't see a whole lot of research. You don't see a whole lot of writing. So a lot of these guys, it's it's. It's really hard to predict where they're going to go. Yeah, and, and yeah, I think that the issue with with him is that he was a big star in Hawaii, which is another one of those. It's almost like there's a lot of information out there, but I don't think there's a lot of historians or reporters that follow that information. Mm-hmm. So I think he he's hurt like the rest of the guys in this category by the fact that they headlined a region that didn't get a lot of publicity. You know, Seems that, like uh, you know, uh, the, you know, Hawaii and Puerto Rico uh, are not part, <laughs> not part of the United States, according to the wrestling. Yeah. Okay, now the Hawaii thing I kind of understand because I'm sure there was uh, tons of uh, you know talent that just because yeah. of the proximity that were working in both places. But you know, that's even more reason why Puerto Rico belongs <laughs> in the United yeah. States because if anything, that's where the talent exchanges were coming from. You know, like the guys yeah. like Apollo the Butcher and Cologne were coming in the United States, and obviously. They were importing a lot of Americans uh, to work in Puerto Rico. Uh, so, you yeah. know, the, the Hawaii thing makes sense to me. Uh, the Puerto yeah. Rico thing simply doesn't. Yeah, and Hawaii is one of those territories where it's like it's hard to tell who was the big star because if you look at the results from, a, you know, a 10, 15 year period, and every single card, you know, the bottom card matches, you know, like, you know, in, 19, in the 70s, Nick Bachman goes like opening. You know, is in the bottom mat. You know, in the in the preliminary match. So it's like your your whole card is full of like potential Hall of Famers there. So it's hard to tell, like who was the big draw there. You know. Sure, because they were so disconnected from everyone else. It's just different people got over, and it was. And uh, they, 
they were also important because of the Japan deal. You know, a lot of the guys would stop off on the way. So you had the biggest stars. You know, Japan, they would take all the big Americans, and so those Americans would, would stop over for a few weeks, you know, in Japan. And so they were on those cards. And so you had literally, you know, you had, you know, a, a six-match card that every, you know, all 12 or 14 guys on that card were bona fide Hall of Famers. And I'll tell you what, a lot of them, like you're saying, who were probably just making pit stops on the way to or from Japan, were probably yeah. treating it like a vacation, probably calling in favors and saying, hey, look, I'm going to be there for two weeks with my, <laughs> with my wife and kids or my girlfriend, yep. or as it may have it. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, how about you, book? I don't care what you pay me. Uh, because I'm just yeah. hanging out. I'm just hanging out anyway. So that's why you could afford to bring in, you know, a Nick Bockwinkle and throw him in a prelim because he was probably getting half of what he was normally asking because he was just chilling out on the beach anyway. He's, he's <laughs> and he wanted the pre- Yeah, he's working. He wanted the he wanted the prelim so he could get to the beach. Absolutely, he's working. Catch the yeah. end of the- <laughs> he's, he's, he's working his seven minute prelim so he can get back out there and uh, you know drink some daiquiris and uh, lay on the beach. <laughs> yeah, you know they would usually work three, maybe four times a week, but they were usually working three three, four times a week. And so there, and look, I, I've wrestled in, in Hawaii before. It's one of my favorite places in the world to wrestle at. And <laughs> it's not just because you could wrestle there. It's because you've got a beach, you know, 30 feet from your front door. And all the boys that would go there and wrestle, they would stay at the same hotel right on the beach. You know, so it was like a, yeah, <laughs> to, a, be on a fly, to be a fly on the wall there. That would, yeah. And, and, you know, you also had all the West coast promotions where, you know, it was a cheap flight from, say, Seattle or Los Angeles to Hawaii. You know, even now you could buy from Seattle, you could buy a, a round trip ticket for three or four hundred bucks. Hey, look, I've always said, you know, you know, once this voices of wrestling thing takes off and Joe Lanza's independently wealthy and uh, doesn't need yeah. to work a day job, I, that's where I'm land, That's my landing place. I'm going to Hawaii, and uh, you yeah. know that, that's where I'm, that's where I'm settling down. Uh, you know that's where that's where very eligible bachelor Joe Lanza is going to end up uh, <laughs> in Hawaii, living in a hut. Uh, and the, the only the only negative to being in Hawaii is waking up at the crack of dawn to watch uh, American sports. Uh, you know, I got to get up at uh, seven o'clock in the morning to watch a little NFL. But uh, you know, I, I think I can deal with that. Small sacrifices, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can deal with that to uh, to live that uh, life of luxury out there. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not a problem, no. And waking up early, everybody wakes up early there. It seems like anyway. So you go out on the beach at five o'clock in the morning, and there's you know there's people surfing out there. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to catch me on a surfboard necessarily. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah. uh, He'll watch it. You can wake up and watch uh, them. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I don't even like the beach, but I still want to move to Hawaii. I actually hate the yeah. beach. Oh, I love the beach. Honest, so. I can't there's, stand the there's beach. A, yeah, there's a ton of retired wrestlers that live there too. It's crazy, mm-hmm. I, you know. Yeah, just a ton of them. Uh, one last name here uh, that we have on the list, and we'll kind of maybe do a, a little bit of a recap here, but it's uh, Mario Milano, and um, I know nothing about Mario Milano. All I know is uh, 14% last year uh, in danger of sort of falling off there. W- what can you tell us about him and, and where you sort of see him going this year? Um, you know, M- Milano's another guy kind of like Danucci. I, I would put him I, – I, I've talked to some Australian historians, and they say that Milano was the top babyface. You know, which he may be, and so that might be a good bump for him. But he, besides his run in Australia, you know, he didn't really make a big impact anywhere else he went. Um, 
didn't really do much outside of Australia. He had a big run at the, their world champion out there, which, you know, you're a world champion of maybe the, one of the biggest promotions in the world at the time. So that's a plus. But besides that, I don't see a lot um, Hall of Fame worthy as far mm-hmm. as, you know, his run. You know, it's hard to say. But it's sad to say, I should say, that a guy who might be considered one of the number one baby faces isn't a lock you know, for the Hall of Fame, but that might be the case. All right. So I think we pretty much covered everybody individually. Um, Now, with that said, I know we did the Mexico region with you, and you're going to be using at least half of your selections in Mexico, uh, somewhere between that four to six picks, if I recall properly. I assume you're going to be throwing a few votes at the Americans' uh, way, maybe one or two in Japan. Doesn't leave a ton of votes uh, left over. And we know Cologne is getting one. So you really only have – yeah, and then when you so really between Europe and the rest of this category, you're looking at maybe one or two votes tops remaining in your pocket. There, um, it yeah. seems like seems like you're pretty high on Danucci. Uh, who are you at least considering aside from Cologne, who who obviously you're voting for no matter what? Who else? Who else are you considering throwing a vote at I, here? I think I might have talked myself into voting for Zaza again um, just now. Um, so he might get a vote. And Danucci, I'm, you know, I'm on the fence with just because I remember all those horrible WWF matches that I just used to dread having to fast forward through. Um, so he was that was, bad where you would fast forward this guy? I think, every, you know, uh, I don't know when you guys started collecting tapes, but. The only Danucci I've seen is uh, very late in his career, and, you know, I just chalked it up to him being, you know, a guy late in his career. So um, I'm not going to – I haven't seen any young Danucci, so, I, you know, I don't really have any uh, take on that. It's it's not a knock on him. You know, I I don't ever want to come across and sound like I'm knocking a guy who is in their 40s having bad matches. Um, What I mean is, like, I used to get a lot of tapes of – Madison Square Garden or WWE house shows from, you know, the early 80s. And those were automatic fast forwards for me when I'd get those tapes. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah I can just, understand that, yeah. He, he was just one of those guys where, you know, everybody has them where it's just a guy you're just not interested in watching. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you know, to be fair, uh, WWF during that time had, had quite a few guys like that. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. You'd have to fast forward the first half of the card. You know, Pretty much, yeah. You know, it's like watching Sweet Hanson. I know he was great in Mid Atlantic, but geez, those twenty minute Broadways on Spectrum TV are just you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Forward to... And when Chief J Strongbow started to get old, yeah. you're just dealing with you know a, a huge roster of guys who just, yeah. shall we say, could not cut it today for one reason. And or... and also they weren't. Like it was the New York style too. It, you know, those guys might have been great working in Mid Atlantic or Portland or another region where they were weekly territories where they had to bust their ass, or else the crowd would be half the size the next week. You know, right? Smaller, smaller populated regions. A lot of times, those guys worked harder because they had to fight harder to get um, fan loyalty to maintain that fan loyalty. You know, ah, you're so, being nice. Those guys stunk. Let's just, <laughs> yeah. let's just tell it like it is. I, most most of those guys in that yeah. era, they stunk. I knew Danucci was not a bad worker because I've seen good matches with him, you know. But 
you know, when they were in that environment, um, they were bad, you know, so. So, so, Will, uh, so, you know, we're joking around, but is that something that would hurt him for you as far as throwing a vote? Or are we looking at a situation like Cologne where, you, you know, or, or was this a big enough part of his career to where it would have a negative effect? Unlike Cologne, who, all right, he'd have a random Starcade match that went six minutes that was really a throwaway or, you know, worked yeah. fourth from the top in MSG every now and then or whatever, um, where it really isn't a major part of his career. Danucci had yeah. a large portion of his career under these circumstances. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, I think it would hurt people's votes. I, I think it does hurt him in my mind subconsciously at least um, that he had that period, such a long period of downtime. Because um, then I see somebody else that I, I would throw a vote to because I think they're very deserving of it. So. You know, this this type of conversation is going to be very interesting, I believe, next year when Mystico hits the ballot. Yeah, yeah, there's another guy. If in 2006 or maybe 2008 you would have asked me, I said, yeah, this guy's going to be a Hall of Famer for sure, you know, when his career is over. But now it's one of those things, yeah, you just don't know, you know. Right now I'd, I'd have to see, well, let's see what he does with AAA and, you know, under this new gimmick. So Cologne for sure, uh, maybe uh, yeah. King Kong, maybe Danucci. And, you know, I don't think it's Zaja. You know, now that I look at it and stare at it, it's probably Zaya is probably how you pronounce Zaya, it. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I've seen, the, I've seen a couple different spellings of it too. The, Z, the true. C-Z-A-J-A. The, mm-hmm. the, the most that I've seen it as far as in newspapers was C-Z-A-Y-A. Which leads me to believe it's Zaya, and the reporters were typing it the way that they were hearing it. Yes. And so it's probably, that... it's probably spelled with the J, but you know, if these guys were at the match or hearing people say the name, they were spelling yeah. it with a Y because it was probably pronounced Zaya. Yeah. See that? Yeah. We figured something out here. <laughs> That's not bad. Yeah, can you ma- yeah, what, what, do you think new the, what do you think the announcers would do back in the 50s if they heard Hoist Gracie? Oh, God. <laughs> there you go. You know, so yeah. it's kind of the same theory. Uh, um, of, uh, so, so we talked well, about who you would vote for. I'm oh, so, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was just saying, you know, we probably will have to have a conversation when the votes come in and um, the Hall of Fame ballots come in and see who wins and discuss it then. Or we could even talk about who we voted for at that time too. So, uh, we'll you know. probably do some pretty extensive wrap ups. Oh yeah, probably in yeah. print and with audio. So that's definitely something that's in the cards. Yeah, but what I, what I was going to ask uh, rather is, so we sort of had your picks here. As far as as somebody who follows the Observer Hall of Fame and knows this sort of stuff, who would you who of this category do you think is is going in this year? If you had to pick. You know, um, one, two, or, or, or anybody, rather. I mean, Cologne seems like an obvious one. Is I, there anybody else besides him, or is he obvious? Sadly, I don't think any of them are going to go in this year. I, I really don't. I, I think if anybody has a chance, it's Cologne. But for some reason, I just got a bad feeling that 
his time's done. I think Cologne's going in, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, yes. I think he missed by two votes two years ago. I think he missed by one vote last year, something like that. It was 59% and 59% uh, both years. I think the fact that he's on the chopping block with that 15-50 rule, uh, yeah. I don't see him losing votes. I see him gaining votes because I okay. think people see this as his last chance, whereas uh, maybe if that rule wasn't put in place, some of his voters might have moved on to other candidates. But because he was only off by a couple of votes and he's one of those guys that's uh, you know on the chopping block. I, I definitely see him retaining most, if not all, of his votes. And I see some people who weren't voting for him, or maybe were flip flopping on him, saying, "Oh shit, you know this is my last chance, and I'd really like him to get in, and I'm going to vote for him." And I could tell you, especially being that close too, is, is, is mean, an interesting yeah. one as well. Where you don't want to be that guy that left him off, or you don't want to be, you know, you don't want him to be one or two short again. You, you know, I, I get that sort of uh, sort of a guilt pity uh, sort of vote as well. You know, I'm glad you hear that because I'd like to see that happen. I just got a weird feeling that he might not be. But now that you say that, that'd be great if he made it in because he's more than deserving. And I would like to help Dave outright that bio. So. You know? Yeah, and I, I and I don't see anyone else getting in. Actually, I see the rest of this category going south because I I really believe that a lot of votes this year are going to go towards those fifteen Correct, yeah. candidates who are on the block, and that's going to take away votes from actually a lot of the types of guys who are on this particular ballot because they're all from the same era. You know, yes. if there's somebody who was voting for Lewin or Danucci in the past, and maybe they see this as their last chance to to vote for your Dick Murdochs or your Andersons or your or your Carlos Colones, they're going to take their votes away from the Danucci's and the Lewins, and they're going to throw them towards those guys in an effort to either save them and keep them on the ballot or get them in. So I think this category, which features a lot of guys who 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 are from the for, from the past, is one of the categories that'll suffer because of the new rule. So I see Cologne getting in, and I see everybody. Everybody else dropping a little. Really, the only other serious contenders who've ever had any kind of momentum. We've got Killer Carl Cox with some great upward momentum. He was at 50%. Yeah. And then you have Lewin, who's been steady. Uh, you know, right around that 50% mark for two years in a row. And Danucci, who's been, you know, in the low 40s. And there's really been nobody else who's been a serious threat. As far as the new people on the ballot, I mean, who the heck knows? It doesn't sound like to me that the Silva with the, the whole New Zealand thing, I don't think there's a ton of juice there. I don't see a ton of people voting for a guy out of New Zealand uh, at this time. Uh, Zaya, I think he's getting two votes, one from me and one from you. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I think he's never going to be on the ballot again. Uh, Bernard and Murphy, I have no feel for that I can see them doing reasonably well and sticking around, and uh, you know everybody else. Uh, the holdovers, your Mario Milano's, your uh, Johnny Barron's, your Spiros Arians, they've never been serious contenders. So yeah. uh, that that's kind of the way that uh, that I break this thing down. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. All right, well, Matt, hey, any hey, geez, Oh, sorry. We're supposed to argue here. There's been too much. <laughs> I know, yeah. Both <laughs> for Cologne. Uh, we're the only two King Kong Zaya supporters on planet Earth. Uh, yeah, you completely. <laughs> let's make up something. I don't know. Let's let's find an argument here. Uh, you agreed with my entire breakdown here. I guess you know what I'm gonna. I think I have a feeling I'm gonna be doing plenty of arguing on the next show coming up in about four. That we record. Yes. There's uh, I, I think it for that. You know, you, for this. You, yeah, you let me try to make up a storyline here. Uh, crap, I got Rich, I got Rich why don't you disagree with us on something so we? Can... <laughs> yeah. I'm not a voter. I was gonna say. I oh, don't we, use we that. Always... Make up. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a it's a. It's an interesting category. I mean, the thing with I, I'm right with you guys. If I had a vote, it would be Cologne, and and I, I actually think that your your theory on that. I was going to talk about that is that a lot of these guys are going to lose a lot because if somebody like me, okay, say I get a ballot this year, I'm going to vote Cologne. 
I'm not going to vote any of these other guys because I just simply don't know enough about them, don't really know much. But And, and I'm, I'm imagining I wouldn't be this, the only person in that vote or in, in that same category that would vote just in for this category, which does a disservice to everybody else, especially those guys that are sort of on the edge and guys that could fall off. I, I see this category being just a, a bloodbath this year. I really do. I do, too. I do. I really do. Um, I mean, there's also, a lot of dudes that are in that 15%. You know, that's sort of those guys, I think, have no chance of staying on the ballot this year. No chance. Yeah. Another thing, too, is that every year that goes by, the more we lose people that voted for the older generation sure. as well. You know, because I, I know of a couple people that passed away in the last year that were voters and that voted for probably people predominantly in a different era, you know. So that's going to affect the votes, too. Yeah, because my, my, my background and anybody that's similarly aged to me or whatever, I mean, unless you're, uh, you know, super well studied or whatever, you have no connections to 50s, 60s, 70s, rest, I mean, maybe late 70s a little bit, but a lot of these guys we're talking about is 60s, so yeah. Especially, I, I, especially be... Rich, since it's 50s, 60s, and 70s wrestling halfway around the world. It's not Exactly, even... yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, I even if I tried to, to really learn about these guys, it's going to be a standpoint of, yeah, screw it, you know, here I'll throw Kelowna vote this year, and then, you know, I'm not coming back. I'll never yeah. vote for this category ever again. And that's that would be realistically how I would approach it this year. And I don't and like, I mean, I, I like not to be a jerk, but yeah. No, you're right. And and like Matt said, a lot of the wrestlers and people in wrestling that would have uh toured there and traveled there, they're dying off. So sure. yeah. you know, they're gonna lose votes from that aspect as well as we move on here. Yeah, and you know, I've even like in the past I brought up, well, hey, hey Dave, you know, we've got a pioneer era of wrestlers from the 1800s, 1900s, that were big stars that maybe we should throw them in there too, but nobody would vote on them. You'd have five people casting ballots, you know. So. Except Abe Lincoln, who NWA champion Abe Lincoln, so <laughs> yeah, who had I believe a positive influence on the world. I I don't. Yeah. Uh, real quick, uh, one last thing that I wanted to bring up. Um, you know, you know, we talked about these categories. We talked about you know where to fit these guys. It's sort of a hodgepodge. What would be your solution? Say that 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 nothing changes. The next year, it's the same thing with a few of these guys. What would be your solution or your suggestion? Like, do you put the Australia guys with Europe? Do you put Cologne with America or Mexico? What would be your sort of solution to to, to correct this area? Because I think it's it's a, it, it, as we mentioned. I mean, it's an area. It's, it's an area that's getting. It, it's misrepresented. It's odd. It's weird. It, it it just doesn't make sense. What would you do to solve that? You know, I, I don't know how you could solve it. The only way I would possibly be able to think of an idea to solve it is if I was Dave myself and I knew who were casting ballots for those regions. Um, because I, I don't know how many people are voting from that part of their, you know, mm -hmm. each region. I mean, or how schooled they are or how maybe it's something that we need to seek out more educated voters from each region like i know like for for instance on the wrestling classics message board there's a couple threads there from talking about the australia you know promotions and there's a handful of guys four or five guys on there that are just you know off the charts knowledgeable about that region maybe those are guys we need to seek out and give them a ballot even if they're not wrestling observer fans or followers or readers you know we could maybe See, you know, seek their information and have them help vote for those regions. I don't know. You know, same with Europe. I don't know. You know, a few years ago, I, I talked to a few guys that were big historians there, but none of them had, you know, they don't vote. You know, but they're knowledgeable enough to easily be able to vote in those regions. 
you know, so you, you, need, to, you need to seek out more um, historians or reporters from those from those regions. I would chop it up, especially um, after this year when a, a ton of people are going to be lopped off of the ballot because of the 1550 and the usual under 10 percenters because uh, you're always going to have a few of those that, that drop off as well. I would chop this up and make them all individual regions. I'd have the uh, Australia, New Zealand, and uh, uh, Pacific Islands as a region. I'd have uh, Africa uh, as a region, and I would have um, – um, uh, the Puerto Rico is a separate region, and I would add candidates because you can't you can't convince me that Jan Wilkins uh, is the only uh, <laughs> worthy African of being on a Hall of Fame ballot, not necessarily no. in the Hall, uh, but 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 on a ballot. And you, you certainly no, can't convince me that Cologne's the only one from the Caribbean. So I would chop no. it up into separate regions. And there's video out there of Power Udi. Everybody knows he's worthy of being Absolutely. Hall of Famer. Yeah. yeah. So, but you know. Oh, truthfully, um, his predecessor, Power Mike from Lagos, from uh, Nigeria, huge star there, you know, drew huge crowds against a lot of Americans. So, you know, it's something that we need to look at. All right, Matt, before we let you go here, um, you, you didn't do many plugs last time. I don't know if you've <laughs> added any in the past week or so, but uh, where can people sort of follow you on Twitter or see your work or anything like that? Uh, yeah, just Twitter uh, at Matt. At Matt Farmer nine three, um, yeah, I'm working on a few things right now, but I haven't posted anything on anywhere. So, uh, yeah, that's about all. Plug your next match. Um, I don't have one booked yet. I, you know, I'm I'm actually taking some time off. I've got had a couple um, injuries, so I'm kind of trying to heal up from that. So, come on, man. The standard response, <laughs> the standard response to that is supposed to be, "I'm not booked, Terry." Yeah, yeah and, and then followed by your email and then yeah. your available dates. That's <laughs> you blew the opportunity. No, You're not very good at this. Yeah, yeah I just just had it. Um, went into the doctor today. I've got some vertigo issues that I got from an old match from a who knows what, maybe a chair shot or something. So, hey, uh, it didn't um, stop but, Dominic Danucci from being off. So, <laughs> yeah, and he's a Hall of Famer almost. No, not so really. So there you go. But yeah, I'm, right, I'm well, actually, yeah, I'm working on a piece right now for Lucha Libre. Uh, for it's going to be it's about Lucha Libre. So um, maybe oh, I'll even post it over at Voices of Wrestling. We would be honored to have it. So yeah. Send it on over. We will take literally anything, we, uh, <laughs> nice. especially if it's the categories. We, we have people that will send stuff about American guys, but we, it's been a hell of a time trying to find this stuff. And if anybody's listening to this and you have anything about Australia or this entire category, we would love to see it because it's been it's been hell to try to find you know, you know people to sort of talk about this one, yeah. anybody that knew about it. So we appreciate you coming on. And, and, and yeah, one of the you... issues, too, and, 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 and again, we, we sort of talked about it at the top a little bit as well, and that's why this region is just so weird to break down is that if we got a guy from Australia, okay, cool, he knows these Australian guys, but what does he know about Carlos Colon <laughs> or, or King Kong? You know, it's yeah. it's so weird, and I, I really do hope there's a solution in the future for this category. I mean, I think we had a decent amount of fun you know, talking about it, but there, there's, there's missed potential in this category, I definitely think. And that's why we kind of settled on bringing you on because that and the fact that it was really hard to track down – um, <laughs> we were desperate. Like, man. It was no, yeah. no, it was no, no, no. That's not the case. See, I'm joking. About. It was difficult. It was difficult to track down the Australian experts because they were a little bit older, and you know, it, it yeah. was you know, the, the semantics. And also, we don't want to interview them at, at 3 a.m. So, <laughs> not, not only that, but like Rich is saying, while, while they may have been certainly more well versed 
on the Australian candidates than you, the problem is they would have had nothing to add for a Jan Wilkins or a Carlos Colon or you know what I mean. And, and whereas yeah. we, we kind of split the middle, we knew that you would have something to offer for everybody. So it ended up, you know, that's why we decided to invite you back as opposed yeah, to continuing to seek out one of these guys. So yeah, and if you have anything to contribute as far as the 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 uh, something written with the Lucha guys, we'd be more than happy to take it and post it on the site. And for anybody listening, look, if, if you want to make a case, this is the time of year you got to do it, and we're running out of days. So if there's anybody yeah. listening who wants to make a case for any candidate on the ballot, you know, use our contact page on Voices of Wrestling. We've posted uh, – Rich, refresh my memory. We've had Chad Campbell uh, for uh, Taway, right? A, yes. Taway. Uh, yep. What yeah. else? Yeah, we've had uh, other uh, – uh, I have did CM Punk. I've done Brock Lesnar. I've done Eugene Nagata. We have two guest posts coming up uh, one Friday and then I believe one sometime next week, either Monday or Tuesday. Uh, from Kevin Marshall, who's going to have some really good stuff about just sort of stylings or you know voter habits and that sort of stuff, which has been pretty interesting. Former, but we former we're, we're... WWE uh, creative, exactly. creative writer Kevin Marshall, so he's got a couple pieces coming. Yeah. So if you've been listening to these, uh, to obviously the, the Shake Them Ropes guys have been doing. They did Sting they did and CM Punk as well. Yeah, so yeah, yep. excellent. Yeah. So if you've been listening to these shows and you're screaming at your computer or your iPod or whatever because we're underselling a candidate that you think is deserving, you know what? Write something, use that contact page, submit it, and uh, you know if it's any good, you know we'll, we'll be more than happy to post anything uh, on the site. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to raise awareness for the Hall of Fame, and we're trying to help educate voters, and we're trying to uh, to, to 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 really uh, spread, you know, just spread the word of the Observer Hall of Fame. So uh, uh, if Definitely. anyone's listening, send it in. Can we send in a complaint if we think you're overselling your guys? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. We hey, listen. Uh, we we are always open to contrary opinions. When we hang up with you, we've got Dylan Hales coming on, and this is the <laughs> highly anticipated Joe Lanza Dylan Hales face off. Uh, as we talk about the U.S. Canada uh, contenders, so we're definitely open to people uh, arguing with us for sure. Okay, good because I'm going to write up a piece about Akira Tale tonight. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Well, now I'll be waiting. I'm going to be waiting all and morning if, if for you it. Don't so. know what Matt is talking about. Check his Twitter feed. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's all fun, yeah. though. It really is. So. Oh no, absolutely. It's, it's it's all at the end of the day. It's it's all a bunch of fun. So Matt, we thank you for joining us again. Thank you, you can follow him. Yeah, no problem. And you can follow him on Twitter at MattFarmer93 for all of his good insights, especially about Akiratawe. Matt, thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. All right, and for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Creation. and we'll see you next time on the Voice Wrestling Podcast. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.